for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and with the Super Bowl quickly approaching, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, I'll leave a break of silence so Giants fans can boo and also genuflect because... The Eagles have your number, and until the Giants get an opportunity and take advantage of that to beat their NFC East rivals, the Eagles hold the hammer in that rivalry, and that was obviously evident in the playoff game in the divisional round. But that doesn't take away from what the Giants did this season, even though it sends them into the offseason with a sour taste in their mouths for a game that they would have liked to compete much better on the scoreboard. So I bring up the Super Bowl, and I bring up this time of year, and we come to you with a special edition of All In. Always has a Giants flavor, and this one does as well. My guest this week has very intimate knowledge of Super Bowl Forty Two, which is amazing that it's been 15 years since that game. And with the big game back in Arizona... There's been one other game, Super Bowl game, in Arizona since Super Bowl 42 when the Giants knocked off the perfect Patriots, made them the 18-1 Patriots. And that Super Bowl was between the Patriots and the Seahawks in Arizona. That was the Malcolm Butler game. And something about playing in Arizona. So I'd expect considering the last two games that this Eagles Chiefs showdown will end up with something to remember. And my guest this week knows a lot about, like I said, that Super Bowl 42. You may also say that it defined what should be a Hall of Fame career. And that is the one and only Tom Coughlin joined me for about a half hour on Thursday to talk about his book, a giant win reflecting on Super Bowl 42, but also we hit on a bunch of things and obviously uh, his emotions, the emotions of an entire league for Tom Coughlin back in November when his lovely wife, Judy passed away. Uh, He gives a tribute to her in his book, in the epilogue. We talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, But if you're a giants fan, 32 minutes of glory listening to Tom Coughlin talk about his career, what he remembers from Super Bowl 42, what kind of laid out, how he laid out his foundation, his thoughts on Brian Dable, a little bit on Daniel Jones. So a whole lot to get to with Tom Coughlin. So without further ado, here's my interview with TC. Hi, are you there? I'm here. And Coach is here too, so I'm going to let the two of you take it away. Thanks, Karen, very much. Appreciate it. Yep. Hi, Art. How are you, Art? Hi, Tom. How are you? 
Oh, I'm doing okay. How about you? Good, good. Doing well, doing well. I appreciate you doing this, finding the time. Whatever you need. Thank you. So, a giant win, Grand Central Publishing, and this is not your first foray into writing books. Uh, how important was this one for you when you, you know, got together and decided that you wanted to kind of relive a lot of this uh, from Super Bowl Forty Two? Well, when you hard when you look at the fact it was coming up on fifteen years, <laughs> and when you think about you know what our country has been through, COVID, inflation. You know, the ups and the downs. I mean, my goodness, when you think about J-Fund families, let's say a, a, a child with cancer, uh, and parents were, you know, two incomes, one income is gone. You know, the, the price of just your basics, eggs, bread, that kind of thing. You see the situation and circumstance a lot of people are in. And also, who hasn't been knocked on their rear end, you know, and had to get up off the floor um, and so the reason, the reason that, 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 that that's part of the reasons we decided to write the book. But the other part is, I believe it's the greatest Super Bowl of all time. It's certainly the greatest Super Bowl um, upset of all time. Yep. It's the greatest catch in the history of Super Bowls. Uh, Edelman had a good one against Atlanta, but still, this is the greatest catch, David Tyrese. Uh, but it's just a great story from from top to finish, you know, when you when you think about the 07-08 season for for the New York Giants and for me, um, you know, it, it's 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 just a story of people that persevered and believed and refused to be beaten and at the right time played, you know, our best football. And and the stories throughout are, you know, the John Madden call after week 17, you know, just a, a, an incredible story. The the story of uh, Greg Gatson yep. uh, coming coming to, to dinner with us on uh, the night before the game in, in Washington when we're 0-2. You know, we're down 17-3. We take the lead. They get the ball at the one-yard line with about 105 to play. And, we, you know, they clock it, which took one, obviously, one snap away. But we stopped them, you know, three times in a row with their, you know, play-action pass, no huddle, three, you know, two snaps to the left. Tavika Mitchell and Aaron Ross, and we start on, we go, we win six in a row with that win. And uh, so the whole year, the, the loss at home to Minnesota, the, the um, you know, the, the, the loss to Washington at home in that second half of the year, I mean, in all honesty, we should have been, we should have been a 12 win team that, you know, had to go to Buffalo to win to get in the playoffs to avoid playing the New England Patriots for the right to get in. So uh, it's just a, it's just a great story. Uh, I think anybody would enjoy the the sidebars that that I you know put in the book. Certainly a tribute to Judy, but also the the, the discussions about you know the the um, the '06, the end of the '06 season, and the opportunity that presented itself with with Hanlon and. Uh, and bringing all the writers in and yep. sitting down and going face to face with them and and coming away with a with a uh, with a with a feeling that you know uh, I'm a blue collar guy. These people are blue collar people trying to do the job the best the best they can with pressure. You know, I mean, I can do more to help that. I don't need to create animosity in the room. I can 
I can do a better job. I'm certainly not going to tell anything that's that's you know meaningful to the opponent, but I certainly can uh, can be more respectful and more understanding, and uh, and so that came out of it too. You know, the leadership council came out of that. The community, the better communications with uh, with my team, and uh, you know the, the the ability to withstand uh, all the times that you know you. You got knocked on your rear end and get back up off the floor. And then the game itself, I mean, gosh, it, it's a thrill to go over the game itself, Art, because I you know, I went by drives and I went by key situations. And you I, did. The details are unbelievable that you, you revealed, honestly. Yeah, we, we had a lot of, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I'll be honest with you, looking at the game on a computer and not being able to run it back and forth the way I wanted to, Drove me nuts. <laughs> All right, who was it made that tackle? You know, I'm waiting to run it. Back. I can't run it back. The thing only runs forward. You know that. So take it back. You know, it just drove me nuts. But, but I had a lot of uh, a lot of fun and uh, a lot of enjoyment out of reliving some of the thoughts that went into it, and also the playoffs. You know, I really did. I, 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 I take great pride in the fact that. You know, one of my mantras is that, you know, go ahead and tell me I can't do something. Right. And uh, and I took great pride in thinking that the Fox experts never never picked us to win one, not one vote to win one of the playoff games. Every game picked, you know, solidly for Tampa, solidly, obviously for Dallas, solidly for Green Bay. So, you know, and, and you know, all of those little things that add up to, to a great, Memories. If you're if you're a competitor, you know, yeah. and that's exactly what the book's about. Well, certainly you you are a competitor. Obviously, uh, a couple. You know, I, I was wondering when you go through a game like this and you tell stories. You know, I think of family stories all the time, right? You you're at a point where you tell the story so much that there's really nothing that you forget. But for you, when you're reliving forty two, even for this book. Are there things that pop up that you said, you know what, I forgot about that? Or have you told the story so many times that you've pretty much hit every corner, you know, every crevice that you need to cover as far as that week, the moments and everything? Or are there things that you might, you know, hit upon that you say, you know what, I didn't think of that this time? No, I, I think the, the, the thing that was good when I reflected back was, the, the position that our team, we, we got our team into, uh, I had a lot of peace of mind because we practiced really well. We followed all the, all the rules. You know, we, we um, you know, our situation was good in that, if you remember, we had our, uh, we had our morning, the players could sleep in, then they could eat, then we had the media, then we bust over to the Cardinal facility and we had our, our, our meetings there, and we practiced there, and then we you know lifted weights and stuff over there, and and we got back about 6:30 in the afternoon from you know from that, and it was to me it was it was a very well laid out uh, you know circumstance with the with the Patriots you know taking the morning right, and I, and I guess I guess now Art it's all different right each team just goes about their own business. Yeah, they've they've changed it a lot, especially through the pandemic. Now the schedule is all is all over the place. Yeah, no, I know it is, and then 
you know, you think of little things like the just the way the league wanted it. The Patriots were downtown Phoenix. Right. We were four, we were fourteen miles out in the desert, and uh, I'll never forget Troy Aikman, Aikman saying to me, "Hey, this looks like a Coughlin hotel. You know, <laughs> this is isolated, and it's you know, but uh, and, the, and the and it worked out great because the players." I think the very first night we were there, they went out, they went into town, and they ate, and they had their dinner in there. And then they kind of made a decision, you know what, we got some restaurants right here. Let's stay here and not have to drive 14 miles, you know. So it all worked out, you know, very well. And, of course, you know the story of the David Tyree Friday. Yep. And that was, that was fun to relive that. And fun to make the point about Eli going over, wrapping his arm around him, you know, telling him, David, we know you'll come through in the – you know, relax. We know you'll come through when when the timing is right. And of course, he, you know, he, he scores a touchdown, and then he has the great catch, and you know, and and, and those type of things. So I don't know that there's anything. I I, I remember some of the little things that uh, I don't know if I mentioned the hayride out to the the Friday night party that the Giants had for all the families. Yep, you had that in the book. Yep. How neat, you know, how neat that was. You know, so. Just the, you know, uh, you know the the, the 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 drama of the Plaxico decision is really an interesting concept here. That although covered, I don't I don't know if it can be covered in the in the light of the drama that went with it. You know, because uh, you had uh, you know literally right up until the time I have to put the the inactives in. All right, I don't know whether he's going to play or not. Wow. And, and Barnes takes him out there by himself and works him and, and Plaxico says, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to go. And then all, all Ronnie did is open the door to the, to the office that I was in and he said, he's playing and he shut the door and went back to the training room. <laughs> that was it. And I filled it out and sent it in and, you know, and we all know that the, the circumstance although that this is not discussed because it's not that book but the circumstance where how much uh, how important it was to have him on the field played out a year later when you know when he shot himself right and, and couldn't play and and the way in which teams had a chance to because I, I thought we were the best best team in football in 08 09 and for us to get knocked out in that first game in a low scoring game against Philadelphia, that that's something that I really regret. Does that but, does that one eat at you? Because I hear that from a lot of Giants fans that that one, the way that season went down, is, is one that you know if you could go through history and change change something in a football season, it would it would be what happened to that 2008 season. Oh, there's no doubt. Look how we ran the ball. My goodness, and we were still really really we didn't have Strand, but we were really good on defense. And uh, you know we 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 had a, a great season going, and unfortunately, and and I think you know when I when I do see Plaxico in this day and age, how how he's you know you know really come around as a as a young man and a father and all those type of things, uh, but that put us into a little bit of a tailspin, no doubt. You know, I've always been amazed by by golfers who, you know, after playing a round, can recall every shot of an 18-hole round. You know, the stakes are so high, but they can go back. You know, I remember on four, I put this one here and that one there. As a coach, covering you, seeing you on 
television before I got on the beat and then covering you, I always remember our Wednesday news conferences when you would kick off the week and you'd walk into the auditorium, you'd step to the stage, to the podium, and you would just rattle off the minute of details about your opponent upcoming for that week. And the one that always struck me, and you always mentioned it, was the left-footed punter Tress Way in Washington. Always. And I'm curious, as someone who covered you, who's gotten the chance to know you, were details always a part of your philosophy, your preparation, your success? And was that kind of what, you know, really one of the tenets of what you tried to build in your career? Absolutely, Art. No question. Because, you know, everybody knows the, the things that are, 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 you know, the Patriots are the greatest offensive team in the history of the NFL, the greatest scoring machine, the greatest. But it's the little, little teeny things that I want to know about. Like, for example, the left-footed punter and your punt returner, you got to put your judgment machine, you know, flip it the other way so the ball spins the right way, stuff like that. And, you know, Belichick liked to have a left-footed punter for that reason. It wasn't something really simple to prepare for in the, in the course of a week. You really had to do a great job with your return man because, you know, it may be the only time he's ever seen a left-footed punter. So right. you're, I'm just, you know, kind of uh, – Piggybacking what you're saying, but the, the details are always the things that that uh, that I searched for and stimulated me because of just what I said. Anybody can anybody can read what's in the headline or the the top uh, statistical data, but it's where digging down in that makes the the, the difference. And and if, even if it's taking the the most simple of concepts that you might have used as a as a Division Three head coach, you know, put their 11 up, put your 11 up, where are your pluses and where are their minuses, you know what I mean? Yep. Then, you know, just looking at it uh, from, from, from that stance. And the next thing always for me was, okay, these are our top four, you know, the top four guys that we, we, uh, we want to have the ball. There's no doubt about it. You know, how many, tell me coordinator, how many times this guy's going to get it? How many, I want to know that our 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 our, our playmakers are going to have the ball in their hand. So all of that stuff is critical. You talked about in the book about uh, times you were privileged to sit down with John Wooden. I think you called it biblical applications to coaching, the idea of, you know, taking everything you can uh, from anyone who you could pick their brain from, people you respected. I was wondering, did you recognize and acknowledge the time when you became the coach that other coaches and other people wanted to come to and pick your brain the way you did uh, a legend like John Wooden or anything else. Yeah, and I did take that very seriously, and I was, you know, appreciative of, uh, of especially young guys coming to, uh, you know, to want to know how you did it. You know, they uh, that's more or less what what people were interested in is. You know some of the things that take place during the, the course of uh, of putting a team together, or however. But those are the kind of questions that, and I, and that, you know, quite frankly, I didn't have a lot of those. But but when a guy would come to me, particularly a young guy trying to be a sponge, uh, I took particular notice of that and tried to be as helpful as I could. 
you kind of, at least I thought it was a joke in the book. You joked about how people kept talking about the kindler, gentler Tom Coughlin. And, uh, you kind of refuted that, that a little bit. Um, but through, through the years, I mean, I, I gotta imagine you gained more perspective. You wrote a lot about it in the book, but why was it important for you to kind of have that? I don't want to say mentality, but the perception versus the reality, you know, I felt like there were times where that line blurred towards, towards the end of, you know, your coaching career, but was it important to make sure that people knew that you could get after it if you needed to? Well, I don't know that that was ever questions. I, I think <laughs> the other way around, you know, right. I think that once, once I made the decision that I, I, you know, you've heard me say this, and I'll say it again. And, and you can and you can go and and quote some of John Wooden on this one, but you have to you have to learn as if you're going to live forever. Okay. Yeah. You have to you have to you have to be open minded, and you have to recognize the circumstance. You know, and when you look back at at at, at my career, you can figure out what had to be done. For example, you know, when I went to Boston College as a head coach, they had lost for five straight years. What do you think I was going to do? Come in like I was the Pied Piper or, or, or some kind of, you know, there was work to be done, you know, and those kids wanted the work. They wanted to know what it was that, you know, that, that, that a piece of this guy was a Super Bowl champion kind of thing. And when I went to Jacksonville, can you imagine the Motley group of people that <laughs> we build a team with from every aspect that you can imagine. You know, the, the expansion draft, the, the street free agents. I, I, I kid about this, but we signed 10 players in December off the street. They were street free agents and we signed them. And you'd have thought, I mean, you'd have thought that we just struck gold, you know. I mean, it was the first front page of the newspapers and, you know, we should have had a parade. But and when I came to New York, it's a different situation. You know, it's a different situation completely. But even with regard to that, making the adjustment that I did make, because I really had to make it. I wanted to communicate better with my players. I wanted, uh, you know, I mean, you remember the, the story there about me coming home one night in 06 and my, my son Tim and my daughter Kate are there. And they said, Dad, you know what they're saying about you? <laughs> And I, quite frankly, didn't because, you know, I told Hanlon, tell me what I need to know. That's all I, I need. But uh, but I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to be uh, be in position where, you know, that my, my players knew that I cared. I always cared. I didn't do a great job of showing it. But I wanted to be in that position. I wasn't going to back off any of the things that I believed in. All of those, all of those um, the, the philosophical things that I believed in and structuring a team and how a, a team should play. I never changed from any of that. But what I did is I communicated better. I think players saw that I cared more. I didn't overreact in some in situations. I didn't lose it as much as I had, uh, perhaps had been doing. But uh, but yeah, that's 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 what that's my adjustment as we went along in New York. It had to be, you know, quite frankly, it had to be done. Don't, don't, don't forget, we won 11 games the second year. Eli's first year of fully starting, he won 11 games. 
And when we came back in 06, we had, you remember the injuries in 06. My yeah. God. You know, well, I didn't know if we had enough guys to finish. But we, you know, there were still some some issues that had to be taken care of after the season there. You know, starting with ownership, starting with the media, starting with the players, starting with the player council, all of those things. And then staying true to course, you know, so that the players knew that the, that, that I wasn't uh, a phony about it. And this One of the stories being that you can imagine after uh, Washington beat us, what our what the players were thinking they were going to get their ass ripped when I came in the next morning. Right. And and I didn't. You know, I didn't. And I, I didn't show the film. I didn't do anything. It was such a such a lot, you know, terrible football game. And uh, you know, when when I told them, I said, "Look, we're going to uh, Buffalo. We better we better win in Buffalo to get in the playoffs. Otherwise, we're going to bring it down to Week 17 against the undefeated." Patriots and I turned around and walked out of the room. That got them looking at each other like, "Ooh, who's this guy?" You know? <laughs> he, he, he's pretty. He's he is giving us a certain amount of responsibility, and uh, we better roll up to it. You know, I want to. I definitely want to finish on some some forty two stuff, but I'd be remiss. You're talking about setting a tone, and it was interesting to me when you mentioned your first year at BC, your first year, at, you know at. The, with the Jaguars and then with New York, obviously I know you know you still follow the Giants and you know I know grandkids grandkids athletics are number one in your world right now, uh, but I know you you still follow uh, what's going on with the Giants. I'm just curious, I you know I don't know how much you've gotten to know Brian Dable at all, but at least watching from afar, what was your perspective as to what they were able to do this year? And I got to imagine you were pretty pleased with the fact that the Giants at least started heading back in the right direction. Oh, there's no doubt. I was, you know, I congratulated uh, Brian many times through the course of the season uh, for the team's play and the way that they responded to him and the fact that, you know, they were literally, I, I would say, with uh, the exception of two games, they were in it in the fourth quarter the whole season, uh, which, you know, I you know I used to say, get it in the fourth quarter and find a way to win. So that, that they played, they were disciplined. Um, the responsibility, you could see players taking it on their back. I love the way that Daniel Jones came along. And, uh, no, I think they, that they did uh, – that uh, Brian and his staff did an outstanding job. The, the one thing that always struck me, and I'll ask you when you when you have you know a, a one year to year two, we've noticed, at least I've noticed that sometimes that's the hardest thing for a coaching staff to go from year to year to realize, you know, it's a new year. Uh, in your experience, when you go from year one to year two, what's the most important thing? Uh, to do as a coaching staff to get a team ready to try to put one year behind them and move into the next one. Well, when it's when you're talking about going from year one to year two, it's obviously it's the improvement of your team in the off season, the ability to recognize where where your issues are and be able to do something about it. And the unfortunate thing that happens to some teams is that they're in a position from a salary cap standpoint, they really can't do a whole lot. Yeah. And that's difficult because sometimes, you know, you have you have guys that are one-year free agents and they may turn out to be outstanding players for you. And you want them to be on your club the next year, but you can't do it. So you have to, you have to keep that in mind too, you know. And, and, and also you want to, obviously to um, – you're evaluating your team from the standpoint how hungry they are because what has to happen obviously is they have tasted it 
and now they got to come back hungrier than ever. And they got to show it by the way that uh, they work in the offseason and how they continue to grow together as a team. It's about team, not about the individuals. One thing that always struck me with you, especially with the the two Super Bowls in 42 and 46, was the the attention your Saturday night speeches got. And, you know, you were a master at not just speeches before the Super Bowl, but before every game. And even going back to identifying, I remember in 2011 when you showed uh, the the cross-country runner and it was finished and obviously you know, getting the message across to your team. How much did you prepare for those Saturday night speeches? What was the process like for you about what you wanted to say? Um, and did it matter to you? Did some matter more than others because you, you knew what your team needed to hear? Or was it more what you needed to say to your team, uh, like in 11 when, you know, you told them that you loved them and uh, from, you know, from that respect? I prepare a lot for that. And I had two guys that were with me in my upstairs, what I call my upstairs team, Ed Triggs and, and Chris Pridey. And we we would spend time together all week long just, you know, trying to put together ideas for themes and that type of thing. And what, what I always did was on Saturday morning, I'd be in there at 5, but I would be preparing for my Saturday night speech. I'd have accumulated things all along. Uh, Ed would have put a video together that we can use, but we would have hit on a theme. Right. That theme would be a reoccurring thing throughout the week, and then, of course, pinpointed on Saturday night. So I put a lot of, t- I took great pride in that. I thought it was a, a major responsibility of mine because I do believe that you're not just a X and O guy; you're an educator, and you need to you need to make sure that your team is progressing as young men as well as football players. And that balance is something that I, I always took great pride in and was also a part of, uh, as they as the guys get a little bit older and they look back on it, that's something that we, uh, we were, were pretty close about. You know, the, 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 you certainly are going to be bound at the hip with a Super Bowl championship team. But the, the ebb and flow of the stories of the individuals, of the players, how the players have developed after football and with their families and with their professional lives that that has always been a great deal to me the one for 42 was the one about don't let this moment go right you don't want to you don't want to lose in the game 42 42 was i i told the players that what i really wanted for them okay was i wanted them to be world champions because i wanted them to understand that when you are a world champion, all those that touched you along the way are also world champions. So mom and dad, you know, your siblings, your wife, your children, whatever it might be, they are world champions too, also. And that feeling that you share with one another is uh, is unlike really anything else because when you realize you're in the top of the world in your profession, it's a great feeling. It doesn't last long, right. but it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And you want everybody to feel that, and you want them all to share that with their families so that those that have worked so hard to put you in that position all throughout your life, they're taking, they're, they're, they're able to take something away from that as well. They're sharing in the world championship, even your high school coaches. 
no one no one shared more with you in your football life and your life in general was Judy and you mentioned your loving wife who passed away in November uh, in your epilogue and it's beautiful and I, I'd say you know if you go out and you buy a giant win by Tom Coughlin and Greg Hanlon uh, today go cheat a little bit go to the epilogue read that first because I, I was touched by it uh, you know very poignant um, why you know I know you wanted to make a, a dedication to Judy um, but how much time did you put into that tribute and why was it so you know so important to you I, I know how important she was to you obviously but to let people know to open up about that uh, and, and you know how were things uh, you know how were things going when you went down to, to, to decide to, to open up a little bit on that well the thing that for me was that I began to discover how she had operated you know with my players and with families and wives and I began to appreciate appreciate that even more and I learned from Antonio Pierce and from Richie Soybert you know how beneficial uh, to them Judy was when they had career ending injuries so I began to understand and appreciate that even more she always took a back seat you know, she always did. She was always at the locker room door with the hugs and the kisses when the players came in and out of the locker room. She was always like that. But I, it was time that everybody knew the quality of person that she was. And I think, to, to quite frankly put it as best I could, Andy and Tammy Reed came to Judy's funeral. Tammy Reed wanted to come to the Judy's funeral because Judy, she attributes Judy as the person who helped her understand what the role of the head coach's wife is to the success of the franchise. Wow. And that, and that, and that moment when you, I mean, I don't know if you've heard that for the first time, but that, that just struck you in that, in that situation to realize the, you know, I mean, I know you knew the the magnitude, but that I would imagine you get daily reminders about that. Well, yes, the, that and and you know the, the I mean, when you hear the coaches' wives, I mean, I mean, all the way down through the years, talk about the way Judy uh, treated them and helped them and taught them and was there for them if they needed guidance in any particular way. That. That's who they would call. They would call Judy first. Yeah. I know. Well, your players, obviously, there are a bunch of people out there who love her and miss her. And obviously, I wish you all the best. I, I'm, again, I'm glad you you gave me all this time. I know you have a lot of things to to do. But a giant win by Tom Coughlin and Greg Hanlon. Tom, always a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll talk soon. And I will uh, I'll catch you along the way. Thanks, Art. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You as well. My special thanks to Tom Coughlin for joining me. As I said, you should check out his latest book, A Giant Win. A lot of great stuff. It's not only about Super Bowl 42. It's really using Super Bowl 42 as the jumping off point. A lot of nuggets throughout his career, his time with Eli Manning in 2004, uh, dabbles into 2010, the Kiss My Ass speech, in Washington when the Giants missed the playoffs despite winning 10 games, dives in a little bit on his relationship with the media, and then a little bit of 2011. And, of course, as we touched on, uh, 
his tribute to his wife, Judy Coughlin, uh, really one of the all-time greats. My, my Judy Coughlin story uh, goes back to the NFC Championship game in San Francisco in Candlestick Park in 2011. Uh, we were in the hallway, and I happened to be sitting in the auxiliary press tent, which was in the parking lot of Candlestick. So we had access to go right into the hallway to get to the Giants' locker room. Now, Candlestick, it was really one way in, one way out, I mean, the hallway between where the Giants would have their press conferences and the locker room was as old school as it gets. So you had basically reporters and media lined up on one side of the hallway and family and friends lined up on the other side. And this was the first championship game I had covered with a team that won. I had covered the Jets uh, as part of our coverage team for the record at NorthJersey.com back in 2009 and 2010. Uh, The game in Pittsburgh was really the one that I remember the most. But this game, we were able to get access quickly to the hallway outside the locker room because we were in the auxiliary tent. Everyone else who was up in the press box, which was mostly the lead beat writers for each individual outlet, they had a hard time getting down to that hallway, forcing through crowds. At Candlestick, you had to wade through crowds into stands. And so I remember standing outside that locker room, and if you remember, that was the celebration inside where uh, Ann Mara, may she rest in peace, gave Terry Bradshaw the business about never picking the Giants. And I I was going to bring that up to Tom Coughlin as he was referring to in 2007, how he did not forget that every Fox analyst picked against them in the Super Bowl and really every game in their run to Super Bowl 42. But anyway, we were waiting outside the locker room and I just happened to be directly across from Judy Coughlin and Judy and one of Tom's daughters was standing there. And I don't remember if it was Kelly or Kate. Kate obviously is Chris Snee's wife. Kelly uh, helps run uh, the Tom Coughlin J fund. So I've had the pleasure in years since of meeting them and, you know, getting to know them a little bit uh, from that relationship. So at the time I wasn't as close. I had just really jumped on the Giants beat that year uh, full bore. And I remember standing out there and watching Judy Coughlin and trying to remember, you know, how she was soaking in the moment, but also it was the anticipation of a wife just wanting to get to her husband. And I'm sure Tom felt the same way because when he came out, the reaction was almost like from everybody else was almost like, Hey, there's Tom Coughlin. He just, he's going to the Super Bowl. And at that moment it was Tom Coughlin husband, meeting his wife and family and celebrating and kind of seeing them uh, and exhaling. And and it wasn't about getting in front of the cameras and talking about how big of a trip it was going to be second time in five years for the Giants to go to the Super Bowl. So that's something I'll always remember. And obviously, uh, deep condolences and sympathies to the Coughlin family. Again, I appreciate Tom opening up a little bit. We kind of ran out of time there, so I would have loved to continue to to dive in, and I would have loved to share that story with him uh, about Judy. Uh, but if you read this book and read Tom's epilogue, I'm not 
I'm not kidding when I say uh, he pays tribute uh, to the woman in his life and all those of us who are lucky enough to have a woman like that in our lives, uh, we can appreciate it and certainly uh, tip our cap and uh, tap our heart and realize that it's a special thing uh, for Tom Coughlin to share that in addition to all the other memories that he shared from Super Bowl 42 and the rest of his career. So I appreciate you listening. Enjoy Super Bowl 57 Chiefs and Eagles. If we can get another Giants guest before then, I will hop on and give you a special edition of All In. If not, We'll be back at some point in February as we prepare for the combine, start getting into mock drafts and see where Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and the rest of the Giants free agents stand before the market opens in early March.